This morning's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Good morning. I thought it might be good to talk about worry and to talk about uh, gratitude. And so tonight we're going to talk about worry, and this morning I want to start by talking about being grateful. And I want to do that by asking several questions. If you've got your study guide there, you see them already. The first one is this, so why is gratitude important? I think gratitude is one of the most important of all the Christian virtues. And one of the reasons why I think it's important is that gratitude pleases God maybe more than any other virtue. Think about it. Hebrews 12, 28 from the Living Bible says, Since we have a kingdom nothing can destroy, let us please God by serving Him with thankful hearts, with holy fear and awe. You know, as parents and grandparents, we know that feeling, don't we? When you do something for your child and they just say, thanks, or I appreciate it. And you know, their own words they express to you and you know they mean it. It's worth it every single time. That's all you need to know. You're pleased. And I think God is pleased by gratitude. Secondly, gratitude is also important because I think it's key to personal happiness. Maybe more than any other virtue. If I were to ask you today... On a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? If you said anything lower than a, like a, a 9, you know, a 9 or 10 would be like really happy. If you said anything lower than that, you might be quick to add to that, well, let me tell you why. And then maybe explain something you're going through or some circumstance, maybe some pressure that you're under. Because we think that happiness is in direct proportion to what happens to us. Now, it is a contributing factor but I think 90% of whether we're contented in life has more to do with our attitude than our circumstances. If I said this, I could make you exuberantly happy in 24 hours. Would you trust me with that? Exuberantly happy in 24 hours. Or maybe even just a couple of hours. Maybe I could start by saying, you know, I could call your boss, have him or her call you and say, you're fired. And maybe have a lawyer to call you up or serve you with papers. Says you're going to be sued. You're going to lose everything. House, every dime you own. Then maybe have the doctor's office call you and tell you that they've been looking at your last test and they read them wrong. You have a terminal disease and it's just months. And then maybe have a trusted friend to call you and say, three of the people that mean the most to you in life have been taken in an accident. I let that sink in for just a little bit, maybe a couple of hours. And then I tell you, none of that is true. Now, after you get over the shock and maybe sock me one or two, you'd be so happy, even though none of your circumstances have changed. You still have your job, you still have your house, your money, you still have your health, you still have those people that mean so much to you. Happiness, contentment. Isn't it true? It has more to do with attitude than circumstances. Here's another reason why it's such a vital subject. Gratitude is essential for effective leadership. No matter what the role is. Leadership in the home, leadership at work, leadership among friends, whether you're father or mother, President of the United States, gratitude is essential. Do you remember Korah? 
K-O-R-A-H, Korah. It's in the Bible. Contemporary with Moses. You may not remember him, but go back and read uh, Numbers 16 and you'll remember what, you'll see what happened to him. He demonstrates that you can always get a following by complaining, by grumbling. There's something about us, because especially if we agree with them, we follow the complainer, we listen to the grumbler, and that's what happened with Korah. But you read Numbers 16, it didn't last. In fact, it ended very badly. That kind of leadership is always temporary and ends in that kind of disaster. But effective, lasting leadership is always based on positive attitude and a grateful spirit. And you can see that in those who do well in leading. I think one of the challenges for those of us who are leaders in whatever role we serve is to maintain the thankful heart and not get sucked into that negativity of grumbling and planning that's so prevalent. I'll say it like this. 95% of this church is wonderful. And 5% of this church, not so much. Let's just say it like that. And one of the challenges for me, I know, in serving the church, and you see it everywhere, it's, it's to not listen to just the 5%, not just focus on what's going wrong, but to step back and see the big picture. And when you do that, it's more easy to be grateful. And we can count our blessings. Now, with these introductory thoughts in mind, I want us to look at Luke 17. You can open your Bibles there. The verse is going to be on the screen as well. It's a passage that's familiar to us. Maybe we know it well. But I want us to read it again. Luke 17, beginning of verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When Jesus saw them, He said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And they went. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Him. And He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Jesus asked the question, where are the other nine? Were they not grateful? Is that it? Is that what's going on? Wouldn't you love just to conduct an interview with these guys? Just, just go around with a pad and pen and just ask them that very question. I wonder what kind of responses you get. Why did you go back and express gratitude? I'm sure that maybe one of them might say, well, you know, I had to go show myself to the priest. That's what he told me to do, you know. And so I was just following orders. And if you think about it, that kind of person who's just so legalistic in their mindset, they're not very happy people. Or maybe another would say, well, I, I went immediately to show myself to my family. I mean, they're the ones who've really suffered. They're the ones who've gone through it. I mean, I wanted to show them. Or maybe another might say, well, I'm sure Jesus knows I'm grateful. I didn't think he expected me to go back and actually say that. I mean, he does that for a living, doesn't it? I hear he goes about doing that all the time. Or maybe you hear one of them saying, I know I got better. I think it might be just a coincidence all these years. I've been taking these vitamins, maybe these essential oils. I've been eating right. I've been doing all these things. Was it Jesus? I, I'm not so sure. Or another might flippantly say, well, I'm healed, but I'm not sure it's to my advantage. Because when I was sick, people took care of me, but now that's going to stop. I got to go to work. I got to get a job. 
Or another might say, well, I'm healed, but I'm not pleased with the way I look. I mean, I've been dealing with this for 15 years. Now that I'm healed, I look older. I wish while He was healing me, He'd made me look younger like I was before it came. He could have done more. Or I'm cured, I'm thankful, but you know, I just don't feel right rejoicing and celebrating because there's so many others that they still have the disease and they're still suffering. So how can I have joy and be grateful when there's so much suffering in the world? I'm going to thank Him, another might say, but I just haven't got around to it. I've been so busy since I was healed. I've been on talk shows. I've been doing interviews. I mean, people want to get my story. Later, all ten of us are going to get together and we're going to pose for a selfie and just kind of make a, a memorable picture of it all. Maybe one timid soul would explain, well, you know, I ought to go back and thank Him. But this Jesus, you know, He worries me a little bit. I heard He demanded one guy to sell everything He's got and give it away. I'm not sure about him. I think he may be too demanding. Only one in ten was truly thankful. Truly expressed his thankful. Grateful enough to go back. But isn't that the percentage you really expect in life? One in ten. Maybe you'd be grateful to even just get one in ten. Think about the percentage that we face. How many of you are school teachers? And that years after the students have come through your class, graduated, got a job, realized how grateful they should be, how many come back and express gratitude? One in ten? One in a hundred? One in a thousand? <clears throat> Does anybody ever come back? Are you a good teacher? No, I don't know. We know not to expect too much in that kind of situation. Or you ask how many volunteers at church, you know, the things that, you know, the sound goes off without a problem, PowerPoint goes well, ask them, how many people thanked you for that? We don't thank them when things go well. Is it too hot if it's too cold? If you don't think about it, then you don't even think to be thankful for it. Or parents, how many of your teenagers come to breakfast in the morning, those of you who still have breakfast, and as they're talking, says, Mom... Bad. I was just you know, getting ready and I realized that I opened the drawer and there's my uh, favorite shirt and it was clean and folded in my drawer. Thank you for doing laundry. Does it happen? How many kids you got? Four? Three? Two? One out of them? Any of them? William Barclay wrote this. So often, once a man has got what he wants, he never comes back. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes that's me. A lot of times that's me. A lot of times that's you as well. But why is that? Why is it that, think about your prayer life. God, give me this. Do this for me. Do this for me. And in the next prayer, we've got a whole other list of things we want Him to do even though He's answered prayers. Do we ever go back and say thank you? Why is it that we're not more grateful? I think one plausible explanation is that we've had a privileged upbringing. We've been blessed, we might say. Even though we live in the United States of America, we are an affluent nation. Even though we have good health care, we have uh, opportunities to advance ourselves, opportunities to, you know, for good schooling, to make good decisions. We're still not thankful because we've had a privileged upbringing. Some of you here were spoiled rotten as children. Would you admit that? Your parents gave you not just everything you needed, but almost everything you wanted. You were very much given all of that. You were protected and pampered 
And it may be such that you have unrealistic expectations in life. You think all of life is supposed to be that way, so when difficulties come, you can't help but be disappointed because all your upbringing, your formative years, your parents were there making it cushy for you. You move into a beautiful house. All you can do is think about that one flaw that's got to be fixed. You may not even buy the house because of that one flaw. You go to a sporting stadium and you complain because the seats are just benches and they don't have a back. And why do they have to have so many steps? I mean, we just complain and complain and complain. You know what Jesus said? In this world, you're going to have trouble. Not just difficulties, but trouble. Life is never going to be 100% perfect. And if you have unrealistic expectations, you're never really going to be grateful for what's given you. Now here's another one, kind of similar to the first, but it's different. Affluence. Affluence. Not the same, because you may not have grown up with a privileged upbringing. Maybe you grew up in hard times, but now you've got it. Now you live an affluent lifestyle. And generally speaking, the more we have, the less grateful we are. You would think it would be just the opposite. That the more you have, the more blessings, the more things you own, the more opportunities, the, the better health, that you would be so grateful And your expression of that would just come out. But the opposite is true. The more we have, the more we grumble what we don't have. You know, you get accustomed to your TV having 100 channels, 200 channels, 300 channels. And then it goes out for just a little bit and you think the world was coming to an end. We just can't do without all that TV. Or you've been to a really nice steakhouse and then you're forever spoiled. can't even go to Shoney's again and just enjoy a, a, a normal meal, you might say. Or your team might be national champions. National champions, that's awesome. And the next year you're depressed because they came in eighth. Eighth. That's still awesome, but it's not number one. And that's what we've been accustomed to. A wise king prayed, Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, Give me neither poverty nor riches, But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Affluence can be a threat to gratitude. Number three, negative companions contribute to ingratitude as well. Look at Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If your closest friends are upbeat and positive people, about life, about church, about school, about whatever, then that's going to rub off on you. You're going to be positive and upbeat. But if you associate with people who are negative, who are complainers, pretty soon you're going to fall into that trap as well. Because that becomes the norm. That's what's expected. That's what everybody's doing. Remember that movie, Grumpy Old Men? Walter Matthau, Jack Lemmon. They're both negative Which one's more negative? You don't know because they just feed off each other. And it's kind of funny to watch in the movie. It's not really fun to live that way though, is it? But it happens in every arena of life. I think it starts on the playground. And we learn it there. We see it as a young child. And by the time we graduate, we are masters of complaining. We are good at it. Then there's work, economy, nation, future, fears, church, all kinds of things to add to the complaining. Is it not true, think about this, is it not true that complainers have a way of gravitating toward each other? Have you noticed that in life? In every arena, 
There's something about a complainer, and if you're a complainer, then you like to get together and you share your complainers. It is so true. They exaggerate the problems. It's all gloom and doom, and it just happens. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Sometimes we'll quote that verse to our teenagers. You've got to choose your friends wisely. Let me just say, that verse is for all of us. All of us. Bad company corrupts. One year at a conference, I heard a speaker. He shared a leadership principle. It went like this. A good leader gets rid of sad dogs that spread gloom. It's true, isn't it? All it takes is one sad dog in the office, one sad dog in the class, one sad dog in the group, and it ruins everything. No matter how fulfilling your job, no matter how spacious your house, no matter how wonderful the situation is, that one person can just pull everyone down. And if you associate with people who are grumbling and complaining all the time, you can become just like them. Grumpy. It's human nature. However, there's one thing I think that destroys happiness and gratefulness maybe more than anything else. Frequent comparisons. Unfair comparisons. And it's like we can't help ourselves but do it. Remember Jesus' parable of the workers in the vineyard? There's a group that were hired at the beginning of the day for what was then a normal day's wage, a denarius. And they were happy to have the job, and they were doing a good job. But then at the end of the day, when they learned that somebody had come in later on and worked just one hour and got the same wage, all of a sudden that thankfulness for that job, for that wage, was gone. The inequity of it all just zapped them of their gratefulness. It just ruined their spirit. If you compare your circumstances with other people, who seem to have it better than you, you're going to be very discontented. You're going to be a thankless person. No matter how much you have. This is not just because you're at this level, and once you get to this level, you get beyond this. This is across the levels. If you're always looking at somebody who has more, somebody who's got a better situation, and compare yourselves, you're not going to be a thankful person. There's always somebody who has kids who are smarter than yours. There's somebody's kids who are, are better athletes or somebody who goes to a church that does things better. Maybe they're a little deeper. Or they, they're just a little further along. Maybe meeting the needs as they should. Maybe somebody's mate who's more romantic. Maybe, a, maybe an extended family that truly is family and is supportive and encouraging. It's, the list goes on and on. And if you compare yourselves to that, you can be really miserable. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, 12. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. I've seen this happen, and, and you have too. So the next question, how can I increase the spirit of gratitude? How can we be more grateful people? We want to be grateful people, don't we? I mean, we want to be thankful. We want to be that kind of person. Well, let me suggest several spiritual exercises that, that if we will accomplish these, it will allow the Spirit of Christ to truly transform us. The first is this. Acknowledge that everything you have belongs to God. Start there. Acknowledge that everything you have belongs to God. It is not yours. Sometimes we forget that. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Actually, nothing belongs to us. Well, say, so talk about, you know, my house or my car or my clothes or my this. It's not mine. It's all His. Even your body is not yours. It is the Lord's. And when we really deep down grasp that concept, 
It makes us appreciative of everything that God has given, big or small. A few years ago, a, a preacher was helping with a very sad funeral. It was a young mother in her 30s. She died of cancer. She left two preteen children and, and a husband. And it was just a, a really hard uh, death and, and funeral, and, and it was difficult. And he used an illustration at the funeral that he said helped them. And, and I want to share it with you as well. He says, imagine you have a, a very wealthy uh, family friend who comes to you and says, look, I, I've got to go overseas for a while and I need somebody to take care of my place. And says, I want you to go and live in my house and I want you to take care of it. Now, I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. It, it could be as little as four months. It might be four years. I'm not really sure. But what I want you to do is just treat it like it's yours. And so go live in the house and you can swim in the pool and you can ride the, the sea dews on the lake and you can drive the, the jaguar. You can just do it all. I just want you to treat it like it's yours and take care of it. How would you respond to that? Kind of look around and think, is this really happening? You would jump at such an opportunity to have all of that at no cost to you. But when he came back, would you be upset and angry and say, wait, well, hey, don't, don't come back yet? Or would you just be grateful for the time you had See, everything in this world, including your body, belongs to the Lord. He's just letting us use it temporarily. We can treat it like it's ours, but it's not really ours. If it comes back early or maybe doesn't give us quite as much as we had hoped for or that somebody else has, there's no reason to be ungrateful. But you be thankful because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The great thing is, he says, now when I come back, I'm going to take you to heaven. And it's going to be even better there. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 6-8. Listen to this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Well, here's something else I think that can increase gratitude. And that is, visit with or minister to those who have less. Visit with or, or even minister to those who don't have as much as you. See, I think one of the reasons why we're not thankful, it's kind of back to that comparing, is when we're always looking to and associating and, and surrounding ourselves with those who have more than us. And we think, we think they have it better. But one of the ways we increase our appreciation is to spend time around those who have less. And I don't mean that you just look down upon them in a pitiful sort of way. But we do need exposure to, to those who have more because maybe it gives us vision. Like, hey, I can be like that. I can go to school. I can better myself. And we need a goal. That can be good. But also to associate and expose ourselves to those who maybe are going through a hard time and they have less. And in doing that, it helps you to appreciate what you've got. You want to be a contented person? Go to a third world country. And don't just look around from a cruise ship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about get in there and, and you serve those people. Or, or, or maybe you, you call on people at a rehab center. Or maybe you volunteer at, at a place that, you know, giving away food to those who are hungry. You're maybe delivering to someone who's in, in need. Maybe you're trying to comfort a parent who's lost a child. Maybe trying to be a friend and support of someone who's been or is going through a divorce. 
those who have less, those who are going through a tough time. See, when you visit with them, when you minister to them, you can't help but come away and, and, and be grateful and be thankful and praise God for that. Well, here's another way to increase our gratitude. Avoid grumbling and complaining like the plague. Like the plague. Run from it. It is everywhere. I mentioned Moses a, a few minutes ago. Is there a story in the Bible that helps us uh, see the ugliness of complaining more than the time of Moses? I mean, it's like one after another. The children of Israel, they just griped and complained. No water, no food, too much manna. I mean, it's like... And of all things, you remember the story? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Isn't that crazy? They wanted to go back to slavery. Why? That is the power of complaining and grumbling. The Bible says the Lord became so exceedingly angry with them, He struck them with a plague. That go back and read number 16. It is not a pretty story, but it does reveal how God feels when we are that way. When we're complaining, when we're grumbling. 1 Corinthians 10.10, Paul writes that we should learn from their example. He says, don't be idolaters, don't commit adultery, and do not grumble as some of them did. Now notice in this passage what he links together there. Adultery, idol worship, and grumbling. As horrendous sins. See, we maybe don't think of it as a horrendous sin, but God does. And He feels strongly about it. Philippians 2.14 should be a theme verse for all of us. It simply says this, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Can you believe that? Can you do that? Is that you? I, I want us to, let's say this verse together, shall we? Do everything without complaining or arguing. Are you awake? Let's do it again. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now some of you are complaining in your heart because I made you do that. <laughs> Stop it! Do everything without complaining or arguing. Could that be our memory verse for the year? Could that be our memory verse for life? Could someone say about you that they're not a complainer? They're not a grumbler. Some of you here today, let's just say it, are specialists at this. This cold weather is terrible. Can't wait to spring. Oh, but then the allergies are going to kick in. I mean, like, we're never happy. I mean, there's always something. And, and because there's always something, not only can we find it, we're going to complain about it. My husband's not as romantic. My wife's preoccupied with the kids. The children want to apply themselves. My parents are always interfering. My Sunday school class is kind of dry. And on and on it goes. Room's too hot. Room's too cold. Room's too this. Room's too that. We are so good at complaining every single thing. And it's such a habit. It's become so normal. You don't even know you're doing it. It's become a part of your personality. People just accept it as who you are. But note this. Your constant griping and complaining is an affront to God. It makes Him angry that you're that way. You never hear anybody say, let's go over to Randy's house. I want to hear him complain some. Nobody wants to be around people like that. So I want to challenge you this morning. Let Jesus Christ transform you from within. If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. We ought to be new in our spirit of contentment. If this is you, 
and I say it is you, I think it's all of us to some degree, and again, some of us are better than others, but especially if, if this is you, maybe you need some help. Maybe get a good friend, or maybe family, people around you the most, maybe whoever you're working alongside during the day, you spend a lot of time with, and say, look, I want to do better. I don't want to be the complainer. I don't want to be the grumbler. So whenever you hear me complaining, I want you to help me. Call me out. I don't know, clear your throat, nod your head, call me whiner, whiner, 49 or something to help me to be aware that there I go again because I don't want to be that kind of person. Well, here's the fourth thing we can do. Thank God frequently for His generosity. Thank God. Express your thanks to God See, it's not enough just to be thankful. Is that not what was going on with the nine? I guarantee they were thankful to be healed, but they didn't say thank you. They didn't express it to the Lord who healed them. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. For that is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Give thanks in all circumstances. I read that if you own just one Bible... You are abundantly blessed. Is that you? Every one of us, we own at least one, right? A third of the world doesn't have access to even one. If you can read your Bible, you're more blessed than over two billion people in the world that can't read. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than one million people who won't survive the week. If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and $20 to your name, $20. You're richer than 80% of the people in the world. Praise God for His goodness. By the way you worship, by the way you live, but that starts with the way you think. It starts with the way you think. When you praise God for the blessings that you have instead of griping for what could be or what should be, it changes you from within. But then the last and maybe the most tangible way to express your thanks is to simply live a joyful life. To live a joyful life. Look at what Paul wrote, 1 Timothy 6.17. Command those who are rich in this present world, those who are rich, that's you, that's me, we've established that, right? Not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for what? For our enjoyment. Everything He gives us, He wants us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy life. After you've been blessed by God, and you've been generous with it, that's what He's writing, you be grateful. You be thankful. You be joyful. If you're negative and melancholy, that's more than a personality. Folks, that's a sin problem. But we become so accustomed to it, we just accept it as normal. You know, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth that they had kind of accepted immorality, incest in their family. That had become normal. That doesn't make it right. To God, grumbling and complaining is right there with sexual immorality. You know, nothing has helped me to understand God as a Father more than being a parent. I think parents understand this. I even think if you're not a parent, you can get this a little bit. When Christmas, money was tight which is not true, every Christmas money was tight. And that's uh, grumbling and complaining. But we were trying all we could do to have a, a good Christmas and uh, would help Santa get some of the goodies together. You know how it is, parents, and you're kind of 
looking at everything, and it's like, nah, I need a little bit more. So stayed up one Christmas Eve, and I made my girls a dollhouse, a Barbie dollhouse, out of a box and contact paper and lots of contact paper. It's kind of pitiful. I've got a picture. You can see it there. Some of the shutters were gone. But on Christmas, they opened all the, the goodies from Santa, and then there was the homemade pitiful dollhouse from Dad. And my girls loved it. And to see their joy brought me joy. Parents, you remember that. You know that feeling. Even that's Jake. He got in on it just a little bit. Here's my point. Do you ever think God does something for you? He's working in your lives. That one little extra something. And all He wants to know is, what do you think? And when we have a spirit of joy that becomes a life of joy, don't you know that makes God happy and brings Him joy? That we are His and His generosity has blessed us and that we live a life of joy and sometimes it's just a piece of box. That, that thing didn't last long. In fact, it didn't last, I don't think, the end of the month. But that memory has lasted for years. Because that's what matters. And God wants that for us. God has poured all of His blessings on you. And if all we do is mumble and complain and gripe, you know what that means? That means we're like everybody else who have not been transformed by the blood of Jesus. But if we can allow His Spirit to transform us, then as Paul wrote, in all circumstances to give thanks, we can praise God from whom all blessings flow. I like Psalm 30, verse 11 and 12. Look what it says. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Oh, that that would be our prayer. Let's pray. God our Father, would you forgive us for our complaining. We've all done it. I know the holidays are over. The gift giving is done. But we ask for one more gift. Would you give us grateful hearts this morning? And may they last. We want to be thankful. We want to please you. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. If we can pray for you this morning, maybe for a grateful heart. Maybe for you, it's a sin to confess. We always want to do that. Or if you'd like to follow Alex's example, have your sins washed away in baptism. The water is always ready. Once you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.